0: going to go on with uh, Acts chapter 11, and let's just start with a prayer. (laughs) Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we come to you because we want to come to you and to your Son, and we want you to speak to us through your word, and we pray that you will open our eyes and help us to, to see what you are saying to us and to believe it, to trust in you, and to go your way in this world, so that finally we will come to the life eternal when your Son returns and live eternally in your kingdom. We do pray, Father, that the death of your Son on the cross may not be in vain for any of us gathered here in this place, but that we might all respond to him as you would have us. So please teach us, Father, for Jesus' sake. Amen. 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 Right, so, the early church, they didn't initially want to accept Gentiles, that is non-Jews, into the church. They were Jews and they disliked the idea to have non-Jews. They thought, you know, salvation is just for us. And yet Jesus had been very clear. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all nations and baptize them. It's not rocket science to figure this out. Absolutely not rocket science that Jesus wanted everybody, not just Jews, but people from all nations, to hear the gospel and be baptized. But the first early Christians had a problem with this. Oh, no, no, no. You can't have Gentiles getting baptised. And we would say, oh, come on, guys, isn't it obvious? But it just shows that you can believe and yet also not see the obvious. And so it is with us. You can look at the Bible, you can see the basic promise that he who believes and is baptised will be saved and not believe it. And walk around long-faced and miserable in this world Not thinking that, that God could forgive me, not thinking that, oh no, God doesn't love me, nobody loves me, poor me, and all that sort of thing. When the Bible is quite plain and clear that he does love you, and he has got a purpose with you, and you will be saved by his grace. So, that's one thing that comes out of this, that these uh, Jewish Christians saying, well of course, Gentiles, Christians, non-Jews, of course they can't be saved. of course they can be saved they were just not looking at the obvious you can't see the wood for the trees sometimes so Peter is called by God to go and baptize a Roman centurion who's living in Israel what they would call occupied Palestine as as the Jews would have seen it and he's living in Caesarea that means Caesar city a, a town that the Romans had specifically built To sort of symbolize the power of Caesar over the Jews. So he was the very last guy who anyone, any Jew, Jewish Christian would have wanted to see baptized. And Peter sent to baptize this guy. It just shows you can never write anybody off. You can never say, oh, she's not interested, he's a waste of time, they're not interested. No, no, everybody, even a Roman officer in Caesarea, Caesar city in Israel part of the army of occupation even he could have a heart for God so the apostles and the brothers that's the Christian brothers in Judea heard the Gentiles had received the word of God they heard that Peter had gone to this guy's house and gone into his house Jews weren't supposed to go into the house of a Gentile and he baptised not only this man but all his friends and I guess other Roman army people so when Peter arrived in Jerusalem, those who were of the circumcision, that is, Jews, Jewish Christians who were circumcised, they criticised him, saying, You went in to men who are uncircumcised and you even ate with them. You see, in the first century it really mattered who you ate with. And for example, the, the uh, Pharisees they say, Ah, this Jesus he eats with prostitutes and tax collectors. Well, if you and me go into McDonald's just down the high street here in Croydon and you have to sit at a table with someone else because there's so many people in, in Maccas, um, you don't think, oh, no, 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 who am I sitting with? Oh, who, uh, uh, excuse me, are you like a righteous person? You're a good person. We don't think like that. You think, hang, I can sit at the same table and eat with you. I don't care if you're a saint or a sinner. it makes make any difference. But in their mentality, It mattered really mattered and so they say to him look Peter you even ate with these people and this is what shocked everyone about Jesus Jesus this guy Jesus eats with prostitutes and tax collectors and Jesus gives his answer he says I'm a doctor and I didn't come to call the righteous I came to call the sinners to repentance so what he's saying is that I am eating with these people I'm accepting them in table fellowship, in order to lead them to repentance. And that's why, in our church services that we run here, everybody is welcome to take the bread and the juice, the, to sit at the Lord's table, because we're not saying, oh, you know, you're not good enough, oh, no, you're not righteous enough. And it is that which of itself sort of moves people to say, wow, I will repent, I, I will. Uh, live up to this. And that's what Jesus did. He ate with prostitutes and tax collectors and people say, Oh, but what why is he sitting at the same table with those guys? And the answer was, Because I'm a doctor, because I've come to help them. In other words, he's not saying, look, here's the bar. If you can jump over the bar, then I'm um, then you're good enough for me. He's saying, look, no, there's no bar. I'll take them. all the barriers are taken away. Just come to me. And those who were spiritually kind of perceptive would have thought, wow, you know, he's accepted me as I am. And I don't actually like how I am, but thank you, Jesus, for accepting me as I am, and I will therefore change to please you, because I want to be like you. So, Peter's very patient. He's very patient with these legalistic types, which I'm not very good at doing. He explained it to all of them in order verse 5 he says I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision a certain vessel descending as it were a great sheet or we might say a cloth like a table cloth let down from heaven by four corners and it came down even to me you see his humility it was even it even came to me because he's the guy who three times denied Jesus with curses etc saying I do not know the man And then he's been restored by Jesus, and he's very humble about it. He's saying, you know, this came even to me. So I suggest that this is a bit like a big tablecloth that is knit at the four corners, and he says, looking at it closely, I saw four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the sky. I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill, sacrifice and eat. But I said, not so, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered into my mouth so the Jews under the law of Moses divided food into clean and unclean like a pig is unclean the dove for example was a clean bird the raven was an unclean bird but he sees the whole, all the animals clean and unclean all mixed together and he's told eat them in other words accept them As I say, I imagine this big sheet, well I would translate it as a cloth, a tablecloth. That's what I think it was. And Peter says, no, no not. He's actually disobedient to Jesus. Jesus tells him to accept them, to eat them, to sacrifice them. Oh no, I I can't, I've never eaten anything unclean. But a voice answered the second time, out of heaven, what God has cleansed, do not make common. This was done three times, nor were drawn up again into heaven. So the fact it was done to him three times, he would have thought about the three times he denied Jesus. And he would have thought about how three times Jesus had told him, go and feed my sheep. Go and look after my lambs. And he would have realized, wow, yeah, this is what it is. These are all the little ones of Jesus. And so he was thinking about it. In Acts 10 it says he was on the rooftop. He was, They had flat roofs, of course, out there in those days. So then he was on the rooftop thinking about it, thinking, yeah, well, I guess. I guess it sort of means that I'm not to call anybody or anything unclean. And then, ding-dong, there's a knock at the door. And then three men stood outside the house in which we were, having been sent from Caesarea to me. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. So when you're trying to understand God's ways like he was, he was on the housetop thinking now I wonder what this means the spirit will explain to you Then he was wondering what this means and then, hey there's three guys oh and they're Gentiles and they're Romans who are you? oh we've come to uh, see you Peter could you please come with us basically and tell us the gospel and well ok But you see how God is very gentle. You know, Jesus could have taken the view with Peter, look, it's pretty obvious, Pete, I told you to go into all the world and baptise all nations. What's your problem? Just get on with it. He's very gentle, leads him gently, gives him this vision, etc. And he was in Joppa, he says. Peter's in Joppa, and they invite him to come to Caesarea. He says, verse 5, you see, I was in the city of Joppa praying. Well, <clears throat> you might remember the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. There's this Jewish prophet who was in Joppa, and he's told to go and preach to the Gentiles, and he doesn't want to go, he refuses. And so he tries to run away by getting in a boat, in a ship, and there's a big storm he gets chucked in the sea. A whale, oh, sorry, a big fish, swallows him, spits him out on the ground, uh, on the beach. He repents and he goes to Nineveh to the Gentiles and preaches to them. And there's Simon, who was we're called Simon. We're told Simon Bar Jonah, Simon the son of Jonah, in the same city of Joppa, and he's also told to go and preach to Gentiles. There's no coincidence. And he learned, I think. And especially in Acts 10, you read that he was staying in Joppa by the seaside. In the house of Simon the Tanner. So he was by the beach anyway, looking out at the sea, thinking, yeah, this is the same sea that Jonah sailed on. So, the idea is that God works very gently in our lives, and sometimes you see similarities between your life and your situation And the situation of someone in the Bible. Or God may work in your life so that you see a similarity between yourself, your life experience and that of someone else who's now alive. Another believer. That's why if we stop talking in church about, I don't know, um, the weather or the government or what a mess the nation's in. This used to be a decent country and all that sort of rubbish. And actually, um, well it did but anyway... um, (laughs) and actually get on and talk to each other about spiritual things, you will find that the stuff that you thought was so unique to, to you, or well, I think is so unique to me, Well, I might think it's a waste of time, even talking to you, telling you about stuff that went on with me, because you would not understand. Wow, well, a minute. You actually start to connect with each other. You find that one... Well, this other guy had the same experience, or a very similar experience, and actually I am not alone, as I thought I was. And so it was with Peter, that I think he got this, that there he is in Joppa, his name is Simon Bar-Jonah, the son of Jonah, his dad was called Jonah, and there he is by the seaside, staying in a place by the seaside, the child looking out at the same sea that Jonah sailed away on, and he thinks, <coughs> wow. Well, i better learn the lesson from Jonah. And then there's a knock on the door. And he, ding dong. Well, they didn't have doorbells, I do not suppose. But, you know, there's a knock on the door and there's three guys. Would you come and preach the gospel to us? Ah, oh, but you're Romans. You're Roman soldiers even. Well, whoops. Well, yeah, okay. I, I guess I better. So, you see how God is so gentle. It's a case of nudge, nudge. Come on, Pete, get it. Join the dots and see the picture with Jonah. Nudge, nudge, Peter. Do you not get it? And it's the same with us. And if you're spiritually perceptive, you will see that. That actually God is not working through da-da-da sort of great big miracles, signs up in the sky sort of thing. But through these more subtle nudges and and his guidance of you. So, I said that verse 11. Then three men were standing before the house. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. these six brothers also accompanied me. And we entered the man's house. Now, that is significant because a Jew was not supposed to enter the house of a Gentile. But, but he says, yeah, we entered. We crossed that threshold. We went into the house of not only a Gentile, but a Roman soldier, a Roman centurion in Caesarea. So all the boundaries that were put in place between people, all the divisive barriers and boundaries between people, are being taken down by the Gospel. And that is one very significant outcome of true Christianity, that there arises a unity between people. In fact, the Lord Jesus says in John 17 that that unity is so powerful and unusual that it is powerful enough to convert the world. So, <clears throat> we entered the man's house, and he told us how he'd seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and fetch Simon, his surname is Peter, who will speak to you words whereby you will be saved, you and all your household as I began to speak, that is the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on them, even as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said that John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave to these the same gift as he also gave to us, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I, that I could oppose God? And when they heard these things, this is the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who were like criticising Peter when they heard all this they held their peace and glorified God saying then to the Gentiles also has God granted repentance to life there's a few things I want to go back and pick up here first of all that one in verse 18 we just read they say God has given repentance to people now every word you got in the Bible is inspired it's intentional it's not like reading a novel or reading a newspaper where there's a lot of trash words and there's a lot of bits and pieces that don't really matter to the big story when you read in the Bible it is written by God's inspiration and every word has and every bit has some meaning and they say God has given repentance to these people not given forgiveness don't read it too quickly as if oh, God has given them forgiveness he's given them repentance now, to repent means to rethink. And God, we're told, gave them repentance. That's a bit different to saying, I give you forgiveness. To give them repentance meant that God had actually moved them to come to repent. You may say that like God is there and we are here and God says, look guys, I've done it all for you as far as I can. It's your turn now. If you repent, I'm here for you. If you don't, well tough. But God is more proactive than that. God actually makes people repent. The point is, he gave them repentance. He gave them repentance. So, God is prepared to actually work on your head. He is prepared to work on your head. Now, there are no buttons on the side of our brain that you can press and just reprogram yourself. You don't have a keyboard there that you can just reprogram yourself. You can't do that. But we all want to change, right? We all want to have another mentality, another mind, another way of thinking, another worldview. In short, another spirit. And that is where God's spirit means all those things. Mind, power, mindset worldview oh, however you want to look at it and he can give you repentance he can give that to you you know people say to me oh I'm an alcoholic and I go into the supermarket and I see the whole light like, wall is just full of bottles and special offers and oh, I so hard. They, they tell me you know I, I just look at it and I think oh, oh that's on special ah oh, only 299 for a whole bottle of wine Oh, I can't resist it and they say to me you know, I don't want to be like that I want to be able to look at that wall that massive wall of alcohol on special offer I want to look at it differently to look at it for example like I look at it I don't drink, I'm not an alcoholic I think oh yeah that's all the booze over there I was looking, I was looking for cornflakes <laughs> where's the cornflakes you know? it doesn't do anything to me I just say, oh, that's the booze wall. Well, I didn't want the booze wall. I want to a pint of milk. You, know? um, you see, God can do that to you. He can. Through the gift of the Holy Spirit, this new mind, this new pair of eyes, this new, what do you want to call it, worldview, new pair of specs, whereby you you look at life, well, suddenly differently, within a different focus. But how do you get this Holy Spirit? Well, in, in this case it was unusual the Holy Spirit came upon these guys before they were baptised and I think that's because Peter was a bit wavy wavering about whether or not he should baptise them but usually you must be born of water as Jesus says and of the spirit it's one reason I encourage people to get baptised in water so that you will receive the spirit and what does it look like to receive the Holy Spirit I don't think it necessarily means that there will be some physical thing happening. Maybe for some people, but the, that is just the external manifestation. The essence of the gift of God's spirit is that you have got a new mind. Now you've got to keep on filling yourself with that spirit, as Paul says to the Ephesians. Be filled, keep on being filled with the spirit. Right? It's no good... You know, I see people get baptized, they, they have a big mind change, and oh yeah, no drinking, no, oh yeah, I see everything differently, but then they slip back. Why is that? Because they are not being filled with that spirit. And to be filled with God's spirit, you've got to be open to it, you've got to be empty. So look, here I am, Lord, fill me. You've got to read the Bible, you, you've got to think in a spiritual way, pray for it to happen. And we. We live in a world where everybody wants everything to happen... ...instantly, you know, five seconds... ...tap, tap on my screen, on my phone... ...and hey, presto, it's all happened... ...you know, we are a new creation... ...if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation, Paul says... ...and you're in Christ by being baptised into Christ... ...and he says, "All, all things have passed away... ...behold, all things have become new... ...but that new creation is a process... It is a process. And if you're making something beautiful, which is what God is seeking to do with you and me, well, that, that, that's not hop, hop, quick, quick, yeah, slap slap it down any old way. No, He is working to make a new creation, a new person of you and me. And that, that's, not, that's not a five-minute quick fix. God's not into five-minute quick fixes. He wants to actually permanently transform us forever. So that's one thought. Um, another thought is uh, verse seventeen. They say, "Well, God's given them the same gift as He did to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ." That is one of the that is one of the uh, first times when you read the full title of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Roman Empire you could have your sort of religion wherever you wanted but Caesar was Lord and they found, archaeologists have found the coins that they used to use in the Roman Empire and written on the coins were things like Caesar our only Lord and Saviour Caesar our only Lord and Saviour they found these arches you can see them still in uh, some parts of Italy still And again, on those arches, again, it is written there in Old Latin, you know, Caesar, to the glory of Caesar, our only Lord and Saviour. And actually to call anybody else Lord was a capital offence. That is, it means that you could be killed for it, executed for it. So, when in the New Testament you read about Jesus being Lord, And particularly later on when Paul talks about our only Lord and Saviour. Wow, that was radical stuff. It doesn't sound radical when we read it about the Lord Jesus. That's what they call Jesus, that's who he is, he's the Lord. Yeah, Jesus is Lord, yeah, absolutely. For us, it doesn't cost us anything to say, yes, I believe Jesus is Lord. But in the first century, that would cost you your life. Because Caesar is Lord, it was written... On their coins. It was written on their arches. It was part of their religion. There it was, like we have the Queen's head or the King's head or whatever on, on British coins. Well, they had Caesars and Caesar is Lord. Caesar is only Lord. And now we've got another Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ. But in another way, it, it can't be true that it was like e- easier for them than it is for us to say that Jesus is Lord. You just start passing the, um, Spider, can you stop? Pass to the supper. Um, to say that Jesus is Lord is a radical thing because we're saying that I exalt this man, this Son of God to number one position in my life. Nothing else is Lord. Thank you. Nothing else is important. Nothing else am I going to worship. Nothing else am I going to give my heart and soul to apart from Him. So, we're going to take the bread and the juice as a symbol of his body and his blood. His life, if you like. And just as his life comes into us... so is this uh, bread and juice coming to us? So just as surely, bit by bit, he, his spirit, his mind is thinking will come into you. Well, I know not all of you are Christians here, but just be quiet, guys, while we do the, the uh, communion. Cheers. So, as we take this, we're symbolizing how I want him to come into me. I want his spirit in me. I want his mind in me. I want to be him and him to be in me. So, let's just give thanks for the, uh, the bread and the juice. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this bread that represents the body of Jesus and for this cup that represents his blood. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father, for this bread that represents his body and this cup that represents his blood. And we pray that you will help him to live in us and that we might be open to him. For Jesus' sake, amen.